Hey, everybody, and welcome to the iFreak Show. Today in our panel, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from New York City. This is James Zuber, also in New York City. And today we have a guest. It's Omar Khan. Nice to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, I run the uh, developer marketing, uh, product marketing team for our developer tools and our developer frameworks. So things like the Visual Studio products, as well as uh, .NET framework and, and other developer tools at Microsoft. Okay. So we <clears throat> we watched the keynote yesterday here at Microsoft Connect, and uh, I think the the announcement that saw that I saw the most talk about on my Twitter feed, which is mostly Apple people, was Visual Studio for Mac. Absolutely, yeah, it was a very exciting announcement. We were expecting a lot of people to get really excited about that. Um, Visual Studio has a very very broad um, brand recognition because it's been a product in the development circles for a long long time. A lot of people are very familiar with it. Um, C Sharp is becoming much, much more, and .NET is becoming much, much, much more interesting for mobile developers um, with the Xamarin technology in the last few years. You know, a lot of people are paying attention to the fact that you can build native apps that go across platforms with a lot of code sharing. And so the combination of those two things, I think, has quite a lot of appeal now to developers that have been working on the Mac uh, and been using other other tools like, uh, you know, um, uh, Xcode uh, for building uh, I iOS apps. So I think with Visual Studio for Mac, we have a really, really interesting offer that, that I think people are interested to take a look at. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious to know what the thinking inside Microsoft was. We were at Build in March, and I actually sat down with, uh, with somebody, not not on the podcast, but talked to a, a person from Microsoft about sort of, <clears throat> at that time, Xamarin, Xamarin acquisition was new and Xamarin was being open sourced. And I was talking to him as a, as a Mac user and a Mac developer. And I said, do you think there will be a Visual Studio for Mac? And he, he basically said, I don't know, maybe, you know, sometime maybe in the future. And, and here it is six months later yeah. and we have Visual Studio for Mac. Um, I, I'm curious to know sort of what the thinking inside Microsoft was that led to the decision to... Yeah. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conf. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance, and bringing in some of the experts from the Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. Yeah, I was actually part of some of that uh, conversation, so I can talk a little bit about it. Um, I think, you know, it, it goes back to the Xamarin acquisition itself, really. Our strategy with that has been to, and, and our strategy with developers, and that's what we talked about here at the conference was, um, is that we want to meet developers where they are and, and, and basically enable them to build any app that targets any platform. So it's really a very, very open strategy. And Xamarin, I think the acquisition we did is really a um, prime example of, of how we're executing on that strategy. And, and Xamarin wasn't, um, you know, when you look at Xamarin, uh, there's a lot of great work that's happened since the acquisition. So we've been moving very, very fast to really integrate not just the technology, but the teams as well. The teams have come together really, really, really quickly. And I think, um, you know, Xamarin has had investments in their Xamarin Studio ID and, you know, Visual Studio 
for Mac is based on that code base. So it's it's grown it's grown out of that that code base. But it's a reflection of how quickly the teams came together to be able to share componentry. So, you know, Xamarin Studio was really a focused mobile IDE. Like they really just did iOS development, Android development. Um, and to to enable .NET backend development. So, you know, Visual Studio for Mac really is a full-featured backend, front-end, client development, as well as um, uh, cloud tooling support all built in. So there's a lot of integration that happened beyond where Xamarin Studio was to get it to where it is with the preview we just, just launched. And the strategy really has been to take take that um, those assets that were in Visual Studio and, and the architecture in Visual Studio, which is very componentized, and to be able to integrate it in very, very quickly. Because for developers, there's a lot of value for a C-sharp, C-sharp developer, especially a full-stack developer, to be able to kind of both program on the client, but also program on the back end. So clearly developers were asking for it. We already see it happening on the Windows side where, where developers are, are working on both sides of, uh, of, the, of the stack when it comes to writing client apps and server apps. And so it was a natural thing for us to be doing, um, kind of extending and bringing together the Xamarin team, uh, extending the technology that they already had. Yeah, so I thought it, I think it was pr- pretty clear to to people watching. I don't I don't think it was said explicitly in the keynote, but you just said that uh, Visual Studio for Mac, as it was released yesterday, is is essentially a you know um, Xamarin Studio, an evolution of it of Xamarin Studio. Uh, it seemed to me in looking at it that the the big difference versus the last version of Xamarin Studio is that what you just said, it, it is not just for mobile development. And the big thing is that it has support for uh, you know, .NET Core and, and ASP.NET on the server and mm-hmm. um, doing more than just mobile development using sort of .NET across, across uh, platforms. And so um, I, I wonder, I, you know, I don't know how much you know or how much you can say, but uh, it, this seems like, is, is this something that Microsoft is... Um, going to put a big push behind for the future, it would be good for those of us on the Mac if, if it were, you know. Yeah, it's I'm, only the beginning, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we we certainly see a lot of developers, especially, and I think Miguel actually had a panel yesterday, M- Miguel de Casa, who, who works on the .NET team and, and, and came from the Xamarin, uh, uh, Xamarin side. He, um, he talked about this at a developer panel yesterday, and it was really... Um, speaking to um, where we see things going, and um, you know, he he he. One thing he kind of highlighted is that hey, you know, different developers um, have different uh, preferences, and if you're building an iOS app or your focus is primarily building an iOS app, there's there's a natural, um, let's say, gravity towards building on a Mac, right? There's just a lot of benefits of doing that. You're immersing yourself in that experience and, and how, you know, how iOS, iOS development is done. Even within Xcode, you know, you have a certain experience. And so I think having that experience on the Mac is, is important. And then there's developers that um, really, really, really love Windows, um, but still want to build apps that run on iOS and Android and, and, and Windows uh, platforms. So I think it's all about... Um, meeting developers on their terms and then kind of providing them tools that are not changing their workflow, but really integrating with their workflow or, or matching their workflow and what their preferences are. And so we clearly recognize that. And um, yeah, we will we will be investing uh, quite a bit uh, going forward. I mean, you've already seen just in the six months what we were able to do from, from where Xamarin Studio yeah. was part of the acquisition and where we are now. And what we talked about yesterday and announced was a preview, and so we're moving very, very fast. And yeah, we're gonna 
we're going to innovate quite quickly here. One thing that was brought up in the keynote and that I also, I haven't actually had a chance to download the preview and play mm-hmm. with it yet, but uh, but I saw other people who, who have, mm-hmm. that I, you know, on Twitter and whatever. Um, it seemed like Microsoft and, I mean, this is, this was true of Xamarin Studio too, but Microsoft has done a, a what seems to be a really good job with Visual Studio for Mac, making it a Mac app. It's not mm-hmm. Visual Studio for Windows running on the Mac. Yeah. It's Visual Studio for Mac. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's born out, you know, like I said, it's born out of the Xamarin Studio technology, and I think that was the vision there is the experience is a Mac experience, and it is for those developers that prefer that Mac experience when building their, their mobile apps. Um, but um, they uh, the, the nice thing about Visual Studio for Mac is that it's based on a component architecture. That's why we were able to integrate some of these capabilities very, very quickly, is .NET itself is very componentized, and Visual Studio on Windows is very componentized. So um, it's sharing you know, with the ASP.NET Core and the C-Sharp IntelliSense and, and all of the, the language services. It's actually sharing a lot of code hmm. uh, between the win- Windows version of Visual Studio and, and Visual Studio for Mac. So it is quite a bit more evolved from where Xamarin Studio was. Cool. Yeah, it's good to see the <clears throat> evolution. So adding the more features, you know, calling it Visual Studio f- for Mac. I- I'm guessing there's not complete feature parity, but there are a lot of things that are have been brought over. Like what like what's next on the timeline do you think you'll be adding? Yeah. So um, you know we're we're at preview right now and I think the goal would be to really get it to a release quality quickly. So I think a lot of what you saw in the preview was the vision for where we want to go with this first step. Um, uh, certainly there's things that make sense to explore beyond that. Um, when you think of um, back-end development, you know, we're really going to be, um, think, you know, things like integrating with our cloud more. And so we, we already have some cloud integration with Azure in, that, in the tooling today uh, in the preview. And I think um, if you're doing ASP.NET or .NET Core development and, and you want to be able to deploy it somewhere, um, we had some fantastic demos yesterday um, showing for Visual Studio on Windows, all the awesome support that we have for containers, all the awesome support, uh, Docker containers, all the awesome support we have in Visual Studio team services for Docker containers and 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 as well in Azure. So that can, uh, for developers building backend apps, um, Docker and containers is a, is a very, very, um, I think a useful way of deploying. And so uh, we, see, we see tremendous value in, in integrating and supporting that in all our tools. And, and as I think about doing more and more backend capabilities in Visual Studio for Mac, I would, I would imagine that's an area we would naturally invest in again, going to like, if we have tools on one side, we can, given the modular and componentized architecture of Visual Studio, we'll be able to share those tools across in the Visual Studio for Mac version. So I, I, don't, I don't have a roadmap and I don't have anything to share publicly, but I think there's some obvious places that, that we will invest, like cloud tooling being one, container, Docker support probably. And I think a lot of the innovation will actually be driven from where the customers are, are asking. You know, a lot of our philosophy is, especially with a lot of the open source projects we have with .NET, um, we talked about how I think over two-thirds of contributions to .NET are now coming from the community outside of Microsoft and not from Microsoft employees. So. Really, it's developers making the products what they want to be, and we have that same philosophy not only in open, obviously in open source, but um, you know, with things like Visual Studio for Mac, we're very, very um, responsive to where developers want to see it go, and so that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm guessing that's where a lot of our uh, investments will be going forward. But I think for the immediate future, it'll be probably. Um, really centered around kind of getting what we've previewed to a higher quality and to release uh, release stability. 
Um, I can you talk a little bit about how the whole so the, the, the there was a slide in the keynote with about five things on it. Um, Visual Studio, which is Visual Studio mm-hmm. for Windows, Visual Studio Code, Visual Studio for Mac, Visual mm-hmm. Studio Team Foundation Service. Mm-hmm. And there's one more mm-hmm. that I think I'm missing. Mm-hmm. Mobile Just, Center, I think it was. Oh, Mobile, mobile Center. Center. Yep. Yeah. So, can you maybe for those that are listening who are mostly iOS developers, mm-hmm. you know, they are Swift developers on or Objective C developers on iOS, and probably are not in the Microsoft world. How does this all fit together? What are all those things? Yeah, I in fact. Um, let me let me talk a little bit about what the brand means and and what the Visual Studio family of products is, and then I can even you know, walk through each one of those and give like a very quick ten second description of each one. Sure. Hopefully, keep it brief. Um, so, Visual Studio as a brand is really um, evolved. You know, we it's a it's a very mature uh, product. It's like I said, you know, it's been in market for a long time. It's loved by a lot of developers, and um, you know, was born was centered around our IDE on. Uh, on, on the PC. So we have Visual Studio as, as kind of the IDE that's been there for, I'd, uh, I think we're coming up on 20 years almost now. And um, it's a fantastic IDE. Um, it's an integrated environment that developers love that has, you know, all sorts of tooling built in, designers built in, and you can build apps all the way from, uh, you know, uh, C++ apps that are, you know, gaming scenarios all the way to cloud-based, you know, microservices deploying in containers to, um, now native mobile apps that run on any device. So Visual Studio, you know, is loved by our, our .NET developers. It's a fully integrated ID. Over the last few years, we've really been expanding what the Visual Studio brand means. It's really the best-in-class tools for every developer, and that's kind of our approach of, hey, we're really going to meet developers where they are with the tools that they they want to use. And Visual Studio Code was kind of one of our uh, was the first extension of that family. Um, we talked about Visual Studio Code yesterday. It's a fantastic editor. Um, lots and lots of uh, JavaScript developers using it. Um, lots of uh, Python Java developers using it. Node.js developers using it. I was at OSCON uh, earlier this year uh, in the you know a lot of open source conference. Uh, a lot of open source developers on stage demoing with Visual Studio Code. Um, so and it's it runs on Mac and Linux. It's 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 different from Visual Studio in that it it's an editor. It's really optimized as an editor. And the difference between, in my mind, the difference between an IDE and an editor is like an IDE basically gives you an integrated workflow. It has all the tools you need built in, integrated within one environment, and that's very convenient. And it's actually you know very very useful if if you like that kind of integrated tooling. Um, all in one place. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, server developers, especially, really love editors um, because they have a workflow that a development workflow that they love. They they use different tools for for different purposes. So, Visual Studio Code is really about meeting every developer that loves that e- editor workflow and integrating their own tools into it. So it's about integrating with the developer's workflow um, on any on any. Uh, um, developer workstation, whether it's Linux, whether it's a Mac workstation, whether it's a PC. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, the, so the family is really expanding. And then when we look at Visual Studio for Mac, it's really taking that integrated workflow yeah. to the Mac where developers want it there for mobile and cloud development. And then Mobile Center um, is a service which is for any developer, any app, whether you're using Xcode, whether you're using Android. Um, uh, you don't have to write your app in Xamarin. It's, it's a set of services for your 
lifecycle management of your mobile app. So it's mobile DevOps. It's got um, you know device testing in the cloud. It's got um, you know cloud build, so you can actually do CI and CD on your mobile apps. Um, it's got beta distribution, so you can distribute your apps to your beta users. Um, it's got analytics, so you can um, you use a DevOps lifecycle to to basically iterate on your app and and kind of uh, advance it based on what what developers are doing. So Visual Studio. Um, for the folks listening, is really you know a set of tools and a set of tools for a, a broad variety of developers. We really look at all the developer um, workloads and, and what developers are doing and try and meet them where they are. Are you looking to expand your skills in mobile development? Have an idea for the next Angry Birds app? Then you need to check out iOS Remote Conf, produced by the same team that brings you your favorite devchat.tv podcasts like Ruby Rogues and iFreaks. Join us for two days of jam-packed fun and learning streamed to you live May 17th and 18th. Go check it out at iosremoteconf.com. ...what developers are doing and try and meet them where they are. Uh, going back to Visual Studio Code, something you were talking about, <clears throat> it seems to me like Visual Studio Code um, is... You say it's an editor. I think the lines are kind of blurry. The demo yesterday showed, you know, like cloning a Git repo and starting a Node.js app and running NPM from in the terminal yeah. in yeah. Visual Studio Code and deploying and like to to, to a Docker container, yeah. all this stuff, all within Visual Studio Code, which is more than an editor. If you very command me. line though, yeah, Every, everything there was like Git was all command line. True, all the, yeah. the the shell, all the deploying to Azure was all command line. So we really and it's a very different. You know, in Visual Studio, I think Donovan showed a published dialog, right? Some UI, sure, sure, to configure it because more integrated to the the UI workflow, I would say. But but what I what I was where I was kind of going with that is that mm-hmm. that said uh, one really I think fundamental difference is that Visual Studio Code is very much driven by extensions and those are extensions that anybody can write so it's mm-hmm. really kind of a community driven mm-hmm. thing and I I think I read that there are there's support for oh it was some crazy number like 400 language I, I would not be extensions surprised, available yeah. now we have lots Studio and lots Code. of extensions and I I think. Pretty much, if there's a language you can imagine, I'm guessing Visual Studio Code has a, a extension for it. Which, uh, to me, is pretty cool because that actually means that Visual Studio Code is a tool, even if you have nothing to do with Microsoft platforms. You know, I mean, even if Absolutely, you're writing, yeah. you're writing Node.js code and you're not deploying to yeah, Azure Go, or something, you you're writing Visual Go Studio Code, code or, yeah, is still, any, yeah, any of that. <laughs> right, and um, I don't know. That's 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 pretty fun and cool to see Microsoft doing that kind yeah. of thing because it's so different than. Yeah, and Five we, years ago. I mean, Visual. So some stats on Visual Studio Code. I think we announced yesterday. There's there's a million developers, over a million developers, wow. using Visual Studio Code actively, and that's that's for a product that launched in in preview last year, but like has been at release form since the spring, basically. And so since the spring to now, that's the amount of traction um, that it's gotten in terms of people picking it up. It's on GitHub, the number sixth most contributed project uh, oh, wow. on GitHub. So it's got it's got a lot of uh, a lot of traction. People love it, uh, and that's that's the philosophy. And um, but and from an extension standpoint, um, Visual Studio the IDE has extensions sure. as well, sure. um, and uh, I imagine Visual Studio for Mac. Um, We'll, we'll have extensibility as well, so we, we will support an ecosystem around all of these products because think, we want we want others to extend them. I think Visual Studio on Windows has had a long history of a pretty important um, 
extension ecosystem or mm-hmm. like you know they're well resharper we talked a little bit about resharper with another mm-hmm. that's this visual studio extension yeah, yeah. that yeah. tons of people yeah. use for a long yeah, time. Yeah. i thought it was interesting though that it was said on stage that the c sharp support in visual studio code is itself an extension even even the c sharp support is an extension so. yeah and so that's um all yeah then that's why we were able to add the backend support so quickly is that it is there the 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 support for a lot of the designers a lot of the language services a lot of the build system they're all built as extensions to a a plugin model and and since that's how they were integrated into visual studio for mac that same extension model exists there we haven't opened it up Right. Um, but um, you know, as we as we look at what developers want and 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 what the ecosystem wants, we'll um, we'll be enabling things. Cool. Uh, I have a few other things I want to ask. But oh, I don't go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I mean, we talked about that uh, Visual Studio for Mac. One of the one of the big things that it adds that was not really available before is a is a really good IDE for doing. Uh, non-mobile.net development, so back-end, mm-hmm. ASP.net, mm-hmm. .net core, that kind of thing. Um, what do you see as the... So, so there's, there's kind of these obvious advantages of using Xamarin. If you're, a, if you're a mobile developer, use Xamarin. You can share a lot of code between Android and iOS. Mm-hmm. Ignoring all that, because mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners are not doing that, and they probably are not going to do that. Mm-hmm. What value do you see in using .net on the back-end? Yeah, it's, I mean... Uh, .NET's a great framework. It's got um, it's a, it's a, so I'll talk about a few things. Um, it's got great performance now with .NET Core. Um, we published some be- uh, Tech Empower benchmarks yesterday, and uh, compared to other popular frameworks, um, Node, uh, and then Express running on Node, or so you know. I think one of the some of the benchmarks we showed is if you compare Express running on Node to MVC running on uh, .NET Core. Um, with the latest benchmarks from Tech Empower, we were clearly driving a lot more throughput in terms of requests per second than that comparison. On a more kind of non-framework um, layer, where if you're just comparing pure Node.js to pure .NET Core, ASP.NET, um, we were again running a lot more um, requests per second uh, than that scenario. And so from a performance perspective, we've done a really, really good job of um, making .NET um, super, super performant and small to run. We've done fantastic support um, for making .NET a great uh, host, uh, a, a, a great way to build apps on Docker. And so um, if you're building backend apps, typically you want to deploy them using a container, uh, and Docker is the way you do that. And so it's a great way to build apps that run on Docker. It's very, very small, like I said before. And, and um, because of that small footprint, it's really easy to containerize and deploy your apps. Um, the performance is great. Um, with, and it runs, you know, it runs everywhere now. It runs not only in, um, on Windows Server, but it also runs on Linux. Um, and you know, we're now running on devices. You know, we're running on the, the Samsung um, uh, Tizen operating system, and so um, with that, you can build .NET code that runs on a TV or um, on you know on a wa- Samsung watch. Uh, and so, really, uh, I think .NET provides a great opportunity to um, build code that can run in many places, and that's you know that's I think one of the other big advantages .NET has. And then we have a fantastic ecosystem in .NET. I would say 
One of the big reasons I would say to use it is the open source nature of .NET Core, the fantastic community around that, um, the fantastic NuGet ecosystem. So we have, you know, NuGet is our package management system, you know, similar to NPM or Maven in Java. And um, NuGet has, you know, fantastic ecosystem around, um, you know, lots and lots of packages available for .NET. Um, and I was talking about all the community comp- contributions we're already getting in open source. So it's really, I see it as a, a framework that's being built by the developers that love it, um, because more than half of the changes coming into it now are from outside, which is which is great. Well, that makes sense. From a language standpoint, if you're, say, a Swift developer, C Sharp has a lower friction than a JavaScript or Ruby might have. You yeah, know, that's of, another, another of, reason to consider it, for sure. A lot of the sure. same yeah. concepts, you're yeah. not going to be lost. You know, we yeah. took our optionals you know, from, from C-sharp, so we have a lot of those things that baked in. And even though Swift is open-sourced and they're developing back-end frameworks for it, getting it to the cloud, to Amazon, to Azure, yeah, right there's, Amazon, not, there's not a clear path to do that. You can get things running, but what you know Azure is providing is almost an end-to-end solution where you can whip up your web app, you know, do small things and in a performant way, yeah, which you absolutely. maybe can't do with some of the other platforms, but get it up there and put it in the cloud where you're not managing systems, you're not setting things up, yeah. configuring, that type of thing. Yeah, for mobile developers, especially, I think the point you're making is is very valid. You know, if you're familiar with Swift, it's not, it's very familiar, right? Like it's actually a natural backend language to use with Swift. Um, because you know, the learning curve is going to be uh, much lower. With Azure, um, the learning curve on hosting infrastructure or hosting backend infrastructure is, again, going to be very, very, um, you know, uh, very low learning curve because um, we had Azure Functions, which was demoed yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw that piece, but it's basically a serverless compute architecture in the cloud. So it's, it's, it's a place where you can essentially just write a function. Uh, and have that function scale automatically, and you you only pay for the time that the function executes. Not you're not paying for CPU hours running in, in the cloud. You're paying for really execution time of your code. So as a, as a comparison, like previously with like Azure or Amazon, you actually you'd you'd rent a server, you'd wire it up, and you pay for all the time that you use. So even if you have a development server, you'd pay for that day, you know whatever days you have it running. And you know Amazon has a similar Offering with Lambda, yep, and this is kind of a counterpoint to that, where mm-hmm. you're just using the code that actually runs. So if you make one request today, you pay for that one request. Absolutely, so if you're yeah. in development mode to you know large scale things, you're not managing. Oh no, I have to wire up five more servers to to handle yeah, the load. Yeah. It just does it for you. Yeah. So that's a yeah. really convenient model for that's become more important over the last year or two. Yeah, so it's good to see uh, Azure having a nice. Yeah. And we have that full spectrum in Azure. You know, if you're if you're if you're primarily a, a a mobile developer that's building mobile apps and isn't working on backend stuff, but needs a function hosted in the cloud, it's very very easy to do. Put it up there in C sharp. But we also support other languages like JavaScript to write those functions. Um, and then uh, if you want more a little bit more control over the infrastructure and you want to deploy a Docker image, we support that really really well. If you want to deploy an orchestration framework that runs several Docker images uh, and orchestrates across them. So you're doing a microservices architecture that is a fairly complex backend. We support Kubernetes, we support uh, Mesosphere and Docker Swarm, which are orchestration frameworks for backend microservice architectures. And then if you want to just run, you know, GPUs in the cloud and do like really, really, you know, pick your hardware 
and, and basically just build the operating system image yourself. We support that as well. So it's, it's a ton of flexibility, just depends on where you are on that spectrum. I think I probably speak for our listeners as well as myself when I say that uh, I would love it if, uh, as things mature in the ecosystem, if Swift became a language you could deploy to Azure. Yeah, I mean, That'd Azure. really cool. I, I think you could, you know, you, you mentioned people are doing it today in terms of being able to get it to run. Azure supports Linux VMs. Um, so from a being able to deploy a VM or a Docker container into the cloud, Azure supports that. If you can get Swift running oh, right. in, in okay. the Docker container, yeah. you can run it in Azure today. If you can get it running in a Linux VM, you can get it running in Azure today. So, so it sounds like it should be possible. I mean, there yeah. are there are backend frameworks yeah. that people are using yeah. with Swift, but yeah. hopefully at some point I don't have to even <laughs> know what yeah. Docker is because yeah. you showed this really cool, you know, yeah. right click and. Dockerize, in, yeah. dockerize it and then it's in a container and then you publish it and then like it was yeah. three clicks and yeah. that was cool yeah docker's awesome and we're, we're uh we're pretty excited about all the support we have both in our cloud and, and our tooling and our devops tools um for docker well this this is new this docker uh support it doesn't seem like i've heard this from microsoft until we've had um obviously in azure we've had um support for docker for for quite a while i think we announced that a couple years back um, in uh, our tooling, we've had Docker tools in Visual Studio, but we continue to involve them, and we showed some updated uh, experiences yesterday. Um, and then we've we really innovated on the DevOps side, I would say, with Docker most recently. And so really making that... So, you know, some developers, again, it goes to, like, the scale of what you're trying to do. They'll deploy a single instance of a container, and they'll do it manually um, because they're not really updating it very much um, to the cloud. Um, if you're working on a team or you've got a more complex backend, you're probably doing continuous in- delivery and continuous integration. So you're setting up some kind of build pipeline and automation pipeline that runs tests, and then does a deployment, um, you know, on, ch- on a check-in or on a on a on a on, on a time basis. So um, for that automated continuous delivery pipeline, um, what we've done is with our Visual Studio Team Services that builds that for you basically just added really good support for building images, deploying um, those images to the cloud, uh, or deploying them on-premise uh, to a Docker host. And so, yeah, that's that's where we've done a lot more work, and that's what you saw um, uh, cool. yesterday as well. Cool. So if you want to get started, you know, with uh, getting some cloud stuff going, some service stuff going, like before we had real low-friction things like Parse, where you didn't have to do too much, yeah. and we lost yeah. Parse. Parse has gone away. If you want to get started, you can host Parse on it. Azure has support for Parse server, right? Parse itself doesn't—that's yeah. gone. Yeah. You can still use the same thing to yeah. get their projects. But yeah. what's the process for just setting up a real basic server just to play around? Yeah, I would say there's two things you can do. One, and the super simple stuff, like um, use Visual Studio Mobile Center. Go create an account, sign up for Visual Studio Mobile Center. It gives you out of the box push notifications. Identity services and table services. So, if you want a backend that basically lets people log in to like Facebook or Google or um, you know whatever login provider that you want, so you want you want like multiple login providers that you want to provide in your app, we have a service that just makes that turnkey. You just add an SDK and and basically a line of code, and you get a login page. <laughs> um, you want to get uh, um, push notifications sent to your device um, from the backend. We have a push notification service. Um, just turnkey again SDK ba- SDK based, uh, and um, you, the SDK works either push notifications originating from the client or push notifications originating from any other 
we have SDKs for other languages that you can call the service that then will. So it, it handles all the regi device registration aspects um, across the different push notification uh, service providers. And um, so again, aggregating that so you don't have to deal with the different push notification services. Um, and then uh, it provides a table service out of the box. So if you want to just do very simple data sync and, and have that data be available offline, we provide um, both Xamarin SDKs, but also Swift and Objective-C SDKs um, for doing that data sync. And so that's all built into Mobile Center. You just have to go sign up and um, you can start using those services without writing a lot of code, just writing code on the client, not really on the server. Uh, and then if you want to do more complex stuff on, on, the, on, on the cloud, um, and again, want to get started super easy, uh, try Azure Functions. What kind of stuff can you do with Azure Functions? So there are these microservices, but what's, uh -huh. what's available to you? What could I write a function to do? Yeah, so I mean, they, they have functions that can be triggered based on requests, so the request response. But you can also have functions that are basically triggered off of other events in Azure. So like something got uploaded to, the scenario we showed yesterday is like, hey, let's say a mobile device uploads a photo to a blob store. Um, in an Azure function, you can actually trigger off of that blob store and process that image and then put it back. So it's just some, we, we have a trigger-based, event-based uh, model there. And so you can trigger not only off of um, Azure infrastructure, but also other things. So, um, you know, you could trigger off of, uh, you know, like a SendGrid or a, a Twilio or something. So we have integrations that span um, uh, different triggers and, uh, and then basically your function runs. And then uh, you can essentially put an output back somewhere. But but you have this. I mean, the thing I thought was kind of cool is you have this um, Azure. I can't remember what you call it, but all of the all of the sort of machine learning, like cognitive the, services, the, the cognitive, cognitive yeah. services, like the yeah image intelligent intelligent yeah yeah. Yeah, so yeah, and those are all pre-built services. You can call them from within your function. Um, and the one we showed yesterday was the, the I think, the speech API, the face API. Um, uh, and uh, I'm not sure if there were others. Uh, probably some image APIs as well. So, so uh, if you're, I mean, this was kind of what was shown in the keynote, but you're writing a, a, an iOS app that you want to do some sort of facial recognition that's not particularly simple to figure out yourself. Yeah. Uh, Azure can do that. Start, yeah, start coding, and yeah. two years maybe you'll have yeah. halfway working. Yeah. <laughs> the thing we showed is that it was a, a bike, you know, bike sharing app, which is basically like an Uber-like thing for bikes. And then um, it, uh, it, 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 I think the user was uploading their profile photo, and then the Azure function ran. Uh, and again, it was triggered off of the photo getting uploaded to sorts, which is something that I think a mobile developer knows how to do is how to put a photo in a blob store. And then the function itself um, basically processed that image by doing using the face API, which is a cognitive service in Azure, and recognize demographics about that person, you know, like um, gender, age, other things. And so uh, you can do lots of stuff with the cognitive services that are, again, just pre-built services. You can just call them. Their API is hosted in the cloud. What are some more examples other than facial recognition? Uh, we had a list in the slide yesterday. I'm trying to recall all of them. So there's face, vision, um, intelligence, um, speech, uh, voice recognition. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm, there's some. I think there's some image processing stuff. And then we, we have a whole machine learning infrastructure in Azure as well. But then you have to write more code there yourself. You have to train a model. But these cognitive services, they're just... Um, they're they're just pre-built things that you can use. Yeah, it's it's it seems cool. like I remember seeing sort of image classification where you upload an image and it tries to figure out what's in the image. You know, yeah, 
it's a dog exactly. or it's a exactly, tree yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and there's a. Um, I think if you just go search for cognitive services uh, in Azure, uh, there's a really nice documentation that, that lists out all the things that we have there. I think that's pretty cool because you're putting a whole lot of power that, you know, if I if I if I didn't have this and I decided I wanted to do some of these things, I, I don't know where I'd start. I guess I would try to find a library or something, but I don't actually think they're great libraries. And a lot of these rely on big data sets. That how yeah. would you collect all that yeah. data? So just having that. An API call away is pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I that's love those good services. because I mean, our audience is iOS developers. Apple's not a leader in this area. No, you know, artificial intelligence. Not it's not really the thing. They make devices. They make great devices. You know, you can build apps for devices, but it's a good way to integrate what Apple does well with what other companies like Microsoft is doing mm-hmm. well. Yeah, so absolutely, a, absolutely, definitely. Is there anything else you think we should cover? I think we talked about a lot, uh, yeah. and I'm I'm really excited uh, uh, to to share all that with you guys, and uh, hopefully, pe- hopefully the folks listening are, are are enjoying it as well. Yeah, I think this is this is uh, this is cool stuff. I'm particularly excited to try the Visual Studio for Mac uh, preview. Yeah, let us know how that goes. I have some time. Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby and Rails? I'm putting on a two-day online conference called Ruby Remote Conf. You can check it out at rubyremoteconf.com. Like I said, it's a two-day conference where you can come and listen to speakers and experts from all around the world talk to you about issues pertaining to Ruby and web development. We have an online Slack channel, a roundtable discussion on Zoom, and all of the talks are given over Google Hangouts, and all of the talks will be streamed to you live. Come check us out at rubyremoteconf.com. Mm -hmm. Um, we sort of (laughs) forgot to tell you so we can give you some time to think but we normally do picks at the end of our show and Mm -hmm. a pick is just a a recommendation about it's very open-ended so something that you like and think listeners would like so it can be a technical tool you know that you're using at work it can be a book you just read or a restaurant you went to or you know whatever uh yeah, the the uh, so I'm, I'm here at New York uh, for the Connect event. Uh, New York has fantastic restaurants. Uh, Cut at the Four Seasons, the new new Four Seasons uh, down by the uh, the Freedom Freedom Tower, and uh, cu- I had dinner at Cut there. It was awesome. So oh, cool. I would recommend that. The, the steak like steakhouse. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. All right. Well, great. Um, thanks. Well, actually, I'm going to let James sort of do our outro because he did the intro. For sure. Well, thanks for coming out. We had a we had a great time, and yeah, we learned a lot about Visual Studio, and we've had a lot of great conversations with uh, people from Microsoft over the great. over the past couple of days. So, thanks for coming on the show, and thank you. We'll thanks for you. having me. You bet. Thanks, Omar. Cool. Yeah. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.